before we dive into the sermon, I just want to pray together that God um, would speak to us through these words that he has for us today. Father God, I am so grateful to you. I'm so grateful that you um, came with mercy in your eyes, that you came not with a sword of correction, you came not with fury, but you came as a baby with mercy and love and compassion so that we might be united with you. And so, Father, I just ask that you would allow these words to penetrate our hearts today, that we might be filled with gratitude of all that you have done, that we might see that all that you have done is enough for us. We pray all of these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen. All right, we are on week two of our series that we're calling Enough. It is the last series of 2020, and what we talked about last week was kind of this idea that like, hey, we've had enough of, of 2020, we've had enough of the awful, we've had enough of all of the things, and we just want to say enough, 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 but also what has happened in 2020 is that God has been enough that there are some awesome things that God has done. And to say that there are awesome things God is doing in 2020 and that he is enough in 2020 is not to mitigate the awfulness of 2020. It's not to diminish it. In fact, what we are called to do as believers is to lament the awful things that have happened, but also to praise God for the awesome things that have happened. Because no matter how much we've had enough of something, God is always enough. He comes to us with enough compassion and enough patience and enough love to fulfill every need. And so, yes, we're going to lament the awful, but we're not going to get stuck there. We need to leave the awful behind and go search for the awesome. Now, today what we're going to talk about is how it's one thing to shift our perspectives and begin to look for the awesome, the ways that God has provided enough. It's another thing to then express the gratitude for what God has given to us, for the ways that he has been Enough, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, if you grew up in a household similar to mine, you grew up in a household where your parents sort of followed you around behind your shoulder, and anytime you were given anything, albeit a gift or a piece of cake or a napkin, it was immediately followed, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And then you, like, like a good parrot, would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. No matter what was given to you, you were prompted. What do you say? Thank you. I have a friend who speaks Spanish to her boys, and she says, que se dice? Que se dice? What do you say? What do you say? Thank you. Thank you, right? This continues over and over and over again. You get mailed something in the mail, and you mail back a thank you note. You get handed something, and you say immediately, Thank you. It's like playing volleyball. They send the ball over the net, and you send it right back with a thank you, thank you, thank you. The problem is, is that as we grow older, sometimes what happens is that automatic volleyed thank you sort of starts to go away because no one's prompting us to do that, right? Sometimes our gratitude begins to get stifled or silenced or suppressed as we get older. And, and the result is that when somebody volleys you that ball, the ball drops in the sand and just lays there dead. And, and what happens is there's a gap that begins to happen in our relationship with that other person. As the ball keeps dropping, more and more space is created in our relationship until that relationship starts to fracture, until there's this huge gaping hole in our relationship between what has been done and what has been appreciated. 
And the reason why that is so important is because when someone has been ungrateful to us, it communicates to us, I don't see you. I don't recognize what you have given. I, I, I don't really need that. It wasn't that important. In fact, maybe it even communicates, hey, what you did, you owed me anyways. Which is odd because oftentimes the things that someone, when someone is ungrateful um, and it feels like the person hasn't been ungrateful, they didn't do anything to us, but it feels like they did. <laughs> it feels like they hurt us real bad. But they didn't do anything, they just didn't do anything. They might have thought about it, but, but they didn't do it. And so as hurtful as ingratitude can be, it's even more uncomfortable when we have to point out how somebody's been ungrateful. When we have to tell them, like, hey, you never say thank you. Hey, you, you never, like, recognize or appreciate what I've done. And if we ever do have, like, the daringness to, like, go up to somebody and say those things, typically the person's response is like, well, well I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not saying thankful for all the things that you have done, which we hear it as, you whiny baby. Why? Well, I'm sorry. I'll just go ahead and point out whenever you've done anything and just, I recognize now you need all sorts of praise for each little thing that you've done, even though they may not mean it. That's how it feels. So it's really hard to point out when we feel like we've been taken advantage of. Now, although most of the time ingratitude is experienced as sort of this lack of doing something, sometimes it's experienced when we've done something and the person points out the way we've done it wrong. You got the wrong color, you got the wrong brand, you didn't clean it right, and that really doesn't feel good either. Now, typically, it's pretty obvious when someone else has been ungrateful for the things that we have done. But ironically, we often miss the ways we've been ungrateful. Like, and that's really how it goes. To the recipient, it's obvious, but to the culprit, they're oblivious. Which means that your accidental ingratitude is leaving a mark with other people that you don't even know happened. You don't even know that they're like thinking about you like, ah, I'm not gonna do that again and walking away from a relationship and stepping back again and again. You don't even know that they're writing you off and you never will know. Now, this is a little tough to talk about because what I recognize is that as I'm saying this, there are probably some people who are listening that are thinking, yeah, Beth, Preach that to yourself. You remember when I did that thing for you? You remember when I gave you that thing? You remember when I said that thing and you never said thank you? I am not immune to this. That there are ways in which I have not expressed my gratitude. And that, and that people have walked away from things and I don't know. I don't have a clue. I'm, I'm not immune to this reality. But what does happen is when we get accused of being ungrateful, oftentimes we meet it with defensiveness because the accusation is sort of rooted in how we feel. You aren't grateful. Well, don't tell me how I feel. I, I do feel grateful. You don't know how I feel. And really, that's exactly the problem. They don't know how you feel. They just know how they feel, which is unappreciated and taken, uh, taken for granted. And so when we try to say, but I'm grateful on the inside, our thoughts 
and our feelings are just meaningless because unexpressed gratitude is experienced by others as ingratitude, which is the opposite of what you actually do feel. Now, when I worked with students uh, for a number of years at the previous church that I was at, I had many conversations with parents who were trying to figure out, how do I have a good relationship with my teenager? Our relationship is totally fractured, and and they think that I hate them, but I, I really do love them. I feel love for them in my heart. And what it came up to as we walked through this conversation, this process again and again, was oftentimes they might have felt love for them in their heart, but they didn't have love for them on their calendar, And their calendar is what counted. Their calendar is what brought connection. Their calendar is what communicated how they actually felt. And so they were left with these fractured relationships with their teens. And and this is actually the same thing that is true with gratitude. That the feeling in our hearts don't volley that ball. The thoughts that we have in our heads don't close the gaps. And telling a third party, another person, how grateful you are for that person doesn't strengthen your relationship with that person. You have to express your gratitude to them. And when you do, you'll find that your connection with the person begins to grow, and so does your degree to which you trust one another. Now, why is that? It's because our hearts gravitate towards gratitude. Right? We all want to be around the people that appreciate us. Like We want to be around the people that are grateful for us. We will go above and beyond those who, for those who see us and, and for those who notice us. Which is hard because um, as followers of Christ, like we're supposed to be generous and serve and give our resources and all those sorts of things um, to people regardless of how they respond. But man, It is so much easier to do things for other people and to be generous with our time and resources for people who show appreciation for what we've done. It's so much easier for people who say thank you on the other side rather than the people who just write us off and never sort of acknowledge what it is that we've done. When they do that, we wind up thinking twice about whether we're going to ever help them again. And this is why if you want a really good relationship, like if you want to build and strengthen your marriage or or your, your relationship with your significant other, if you want to go deeper with them, you've got to show gratitude and appreciation for them. You never want somebody else to out grateful you for your other. You never want somebody else to be more grateful for your spouse or your significant other than you are for your spouse or significant other. You want to make sure you're the most grateful for them because our hearts gravitate towards gratitude. And listen, if there's any kiddos listening, like uh, older elementary school kids, middle school kids, high school kids, if any of you guys are listening, here's what I want to tell you. But don't tell your parents I told you this. If you want to turn your parents into more yes people than no people, start thanking them for everything. Like everything, like things that you even think like you should just have on your own. Like you might think, well, of course I have a room and of course I have a ride and of course there's food in the fridge. Like, like they have to do that. No, 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 First of all, your parents don't owe you anything and they don't have to do any of those things. They are volunteers just like all of us. And if you want them to, to, to continue to volley that ball back to you and say, here's another shot. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. You need to start getting real good at volleying that ball back to them. 
thank you, thank you, thank you, right? Because when we express our gratitude to our parents, it melts their hearts towards us. And they'll want to again and again give back to you as much as you've given back to them. Now, there's a narrative in the book of Luke that really does raise the bar about gratitude. And it gives us this beautiful example of what it looks like to truly be grateful in our lives. And it's found in Luke chapter 17. In verse 11, we're told that now Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a difference, at a distance. You see, leprosy, like people who had leprosy, lepers, they weren't dead, but they also weren't really alive. They weren't actually able to take part in in community or city life or, or anything like that. They sort of had to stand at a distance and watch the rest of the world go by while they lived in complete isolation. The reason is, is because they experienced pain differently than other people. They, they didn't actually experience pain. And so during a time when like their basic survival required manual labor, um, the result was like they would get hurt and not know it. And, it and, and the hurts and the pains would be totally unattended. And so their bodies would just deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate. But in addition to that, leprosy was highly contagious. And so they were cast out of the communities. There was a law in place that said that anyone with leprosy, they had to live on the outskirts of, time, uh, outskirts of town. And anytime they came close, like if they had to come into the city in order to get some supplies or something like that, they would have to give everybody warning by yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. They had to cover their faces so that nobody would see them, so that nobody would be able to breathe the same breath that they breathed. And so they would create their own community on the outskirts of town. They would grow their own crops. And one of these communities existed on the borderline or the borderlands between Samaria and Galilee. In this area, it was uh, inhibited, uh, in, inhabited mostly by Samaritans. Now, a total aside to this, by the end of the story, we find out that, that, that this community of lepers had both Jews and Samarians, Galileans and Samarians. And, and the interesting thing about this is that these two groups were diametrically opposed to one another, both politically and religiously. Like, they wanted nothing to do with one another. They hated each other. And yet, when it came to, um, in the midst of, like, their pain and their suffering and their alienation, all of those differences were minimized. And everything they held in common was maximized. See, in the face of needing one another, all of those things like politics and religious differences just fade to the background. They, they, they aren't important anymore because they recognize they just need one another. And so what we're told is that these men, these 10 lepers, they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. 
Now, this word master that's used is, is, is a really interesting word because it's actually the word that the disciples would have called Jesus. Like the long-standing follow Jesus around everywhere word, that's the word they used. And, and they weren't long-standing followers of Jesus, and yet that's the word that they used. And so what we discover is that they are just, they're just throwing mud at a wall and hoping something sticks. Like they are like, I will call you whatever I need to call you, Please, you are our only hope in this matter. You're our only hope. And so... When uh, we're told in Luke verse 14 that when the leopard saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, the lepers had heard many of times the word go, right? Like, and it normally was followed with go away, get away from here, leave this place, go. But this go was different. This go was Jesus saying, go, show yourselves to the priests. And I wonder if they thought to themselves, go show them what? (laughs) Like the priests don't really like to see us. And in those days, what would happen is if a person did contract a skin disease, after a time of quarantining, they would have to go to the priest and show themselves, show, show the priest their skin to prove that they were clean. And the priest had to approve, yes, you're ready to enter into normal society. And so really the implication in this moment is that by telling them to go, Jesus is saying like, listen, you will be clean. By the time you get from here to the priest, you will be cleansed. There will be something that you have to show the priest. But the willingness for those lepers to go in that moment took extraordinary faith because in that moment they weren't clean. In that moment there was nothing to show them. In that moment, if nothing would have changed, they would have been complete fools. They would have been a run out of town. They would have been ridiculed. How dare you come to the temple like that? How dare you come like that? And so it took incredible faith to go and show themselves to the priest. And we're told by Luke that as they went, they were cleansed. Like, this is literally what it looks like to walk by faith. And they responded to this prompting and promise of Jesus, not because they saw anything that would have proven that it was worth trusting, but because they had complete faith before they ever even knew the outcome. And then here comes the twist in the story. We told that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. See, one leper returns. There's one guy that turns back. One guy volleys the ball back to finish the loop, and he fills in this gap between his relationship between himself and with Jesus. And there was no more social distancing. He throws himself at Jesus' feet And he thanks him. He wasn't just content to feel grateful. He demonstrated it. And as much as we want to get on with the living among all of the death we've experienced, 
He's willing to uh, go back and close this gratitude loop. After all, Jesus had given him his life back. And so he went back and he thanked the one who had given him enough so that he could move forward with the rest of his life. And then Luke tells us this really seemingly unimportant detail. It says, and he was a Samaritan. Why is Luke pointing out our differences? Why can't we just be humans? Like, why can't he just be, like, isn't that enough? And what Luke is doing in that moment is what Luke has been doing throughout the entire gospel of Luke. He continuously is pointing out how people are marginalized, how people who have been on the outskirts of all of the relationships, who have been discriminated against on multiple levels, that those were the people that Jesus cared about deeply. And oftentimes those were the people who showed the most gratitude and the most praise for what Jesus had done. Because their pride and their busyness didn't get in the way with closing the gap between them and Jesus. And so Jesus um, notices this whole thing and and Jesus responds. Notice how he responds. Jesus says, "Um, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Uh, Essentially, in the original language, uh, Jesus' last question is, the nine? They are where? (laughs) Where are they? Where, where are they? Jesus is pointing out, like, they missed the moment. The ball was lobbed to them, and they dropped it. There was no one there to prompt them, like, hey, quesadice, like, what do you say? And in this relationship is fractured a bit as they lack this expressed gratitude. See, if not for Jesus... If not for Jesus, uh, they would have continued to eke out a living throughout the rest of their lives, that, that they would have had to live in the middle of nowhere, isolated from all community. But because of Jesus, they're restored to their families. They're restored to their community. They're able to make a living. They're, go, they're able to go on with their life. And it's really easy to be like, yeah, they should have gone back. Like, they missed the boat. It's easy for us to judge them. But I'm pretty sure that if you were to confront any nine of them, they would have said, no, 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 I feel grateful. I am so grateful. My heart is overwhelmingly grateful. It has changed everything in my life. The problem is, is that they didn't express it. They didn't express it. And so Jesus says, only one returned? Like it's this foreigner? Luke tells us that that Jesus says, has has no one returned to give praises to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's no need to return again. Go on, go on and live your life. See, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Regardless for what we feel, it communicates in gratitude and it has the same effect as rejection. And so if we want to have the hearts of those who you love, we need to express gratitude to them. And if we just want to have people in our lives who continue to get by or get a paycheck or do what they're supposed to do, then then by all means continue to withhold gratitude. But we know this. Like, we know that we're supposed to be thankful. We know that we're supposed to tell people at every turn, like, thank you for this. 
what you did was enough. Thank you for all that you're doing. And so why is it so hard sometimes? Why is it so hard sometimes to express gratitude for the things that somebody else has done, to recognize what they have done in your life? Well, I think that sometimes it's because gratitude actually feels a little bit like weakness. Like having to acknowledge what somebody else did for you means that you kind of are admitting that like, like maybe it could make you feel like you couldn't have done it on your own. Well, my reality is, is you couldn't have. You couldn't have done it on your own. And in the wake of your own progress, there are oftentimes, always, <laughs> there are always people who have facilitated success. And to acknowledge them might feel a little bit like weakness, but it's actually a sign of maturity. So to call so our call to express gratitude is a call to leave sort of this unhealthy sense of independence and instead move to a proper perspective that you owe so many people in your life a debt of gratitude. And that's okay. That's okay. So from this point on, the question becomes like, what will your story look like? Will your story look more like the nine who, who were so excited that at the new opportunity, who were so excited about the, the new life that had opened up to them, that they went forward from that place and forgot about who had helped them get there? Or will your story look more like the one who goes back to the one who has allowed them to move forward? And my call for us today is to be like the one to be like the one who went back to move forward. And so my question becomes, have you thanked those who have helped you move forward? Have you done it ever? Have you done it recently? And if you haven't, the good news is that it's not too late. The good news is that you can still decide to be the one. You can still decide to be the one through one expression of gratitude at a time. Not by what we feel in our hearts, because gratitude that we just feel but don't express is simply ingratitude by another name. And so our call is to be in the habit of being returners, because there is enough in our life to be thankful for. All right, let's pray together. Father God, you first and foremost are the one that we are called to be grateful for because you are the one who left the riches of heaven and took on flesh to become poor and vulnerable and weak, to give up your life for us so that we might become rich, so that we might become rich in our relationship with you, so that we might become rich in forgiveness and mercy and patience, so that we might become rich by inheriting your great kingdom that is full of love and justice and mercy and compassion. And so, Father God, would you begin in our hearts to bubble up all of the ways that we are grateful? And would you motivate us by the power of your spirit to express our gratitude first and foremost to you for all that you have done, 
but also for each other. We pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.